Thank you for joining us on the Sword and Trial today. Today, Graham and I have the opportunity of talking with Michael Cleary. He is a church planter from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he has written a wonderful book. In fact, I would say it's the best book that I have read on God's good design for human sexuality. And so we're going to talk to him about his book, about his ministry. There are some insights that uh, Michael has expressed in this book in ways that I've not seen expressed anywhere else. So uh, let other people know about this, and I hope that you will enjoy listening in on the conversation. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today for what we believe is a vitally important conversation that is so relevant to what's going on in our broad culture here in the West, and America particularly, but also within evangelical churches. And to help us with this conversation, we have Michael Clary joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio. Michael, thank you for being on the Sword and Trial today. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, Michael came across my radar with this book, and I think you sent it to me or someone from your team sent it to me called God's Good Design, A Biblical, Theological, and Practical Guide to Human Sexuality. Uh, This book is hot off the press. It's a 2023 imprint. And uh, this is a a topic we talk about a lot here. Once a quarter at our church, we do a a biblical manhood, biblical womanhood teaching for Uh men and women. Isn't that a a red flag for a church? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, they just put it on the list of reasons that they want to be upset with us. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so we're just, we're always thinking about it. We're wanting to think about it better, and we're wanting to help our people think about it and navigate it because... Uh, the world's crazy about these things. Mm-hmm. So, man, when I got this book, I started uh, pre-reading it and could hardly put it down. Uh, it's just really good. And, and Michael, we are so grateful for you writing it, making it available. We certainly want to commend the book. So at the outset, just know that this book is excellent, and I commend it. I want uh, I want it to get a wide readership. But we'd like to start by just saying, how did you come to write this book, man? You're a church planner in the urban of uh, urban area of Cincinnati, Ohio. What, what in the world are you writing a book like this for? <laughs> yeah, it was something that came about through, um, a num- over a number of years ministering in an urban context. Uh, we're very close to the university of Cincinnati and the population of our church are young. Uh, they're smart, they're well-educated, successful. And the, views I present in the book, the historic teachings of the Christian faith, which I say at the beginning, it's like, there's nothing novel, uh, what I want to teach, mm-hmm. but I feel like it needs to be taught with, uh, fresh, get uh, a new, a new fresh teaching of something that the church has always believed. But in a modern climate, these are controversial there. It, it goes in the opposite direction of where the world is pushing us now of rejecting manhood and woman and even the categories that even such a thing as a gender binary even exists. Mm. So what, uh, what happened was as I would teach these things, I would notice that the anxiety level of the congregation would raise and the, there's a lot of misperceptions. You, people would think like, well, why are you anti-women or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what there, there would be some, 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 uh, concern that someone would have, um, 
And so I would walk through it. I'm like, well, here's the text. Let's, let's look at how scripture presents this issue and try as best I can to, uh, to gently present the teaching of scripture in a way that would help calm the anxiety and show this is straight out of God's word. And this is why it's good. This is not something that we have to take. Well, kind of, you know, it's like, you know, taking, taking your medicine. It's like, well, you're going to hate this, but it's for your good. So you better just buckle up and hate it. I wanted to say, no, this is a beautiful thing. And this is a, and we, we see so much ugliness in the world that is growing because we are not respecting what scripture teaches. We're not living in line with God's design. So, um, a few years ago, there was a, a controversy in the church uh, related to something I'd posted on Facebook that in, in my mind was fairly common sense, but it, it, it really stirred up a lot of people and they're very upset. So the fruit of that was like, oh, I want to teach a class about this. And I did an outline that became the basic sketch of the outline of the book where I would hit the various topics of singleness. What is it? What is the essence of manhood? What is the essence of womanhood? Uh, how do sexual dynamics play out in the church? Uh, things of that sort. Um, after that, I thought, you know, this I could turn this into short little teachings, podcasts that I could record. And as I developed the material more, I thought, you know, the best thing for me to do is to write it all out. And then whenever I did, I shopped it around to a few publishers and Reformation Zion picked it up. And... Uh, that's how I got here, but it started with some controversy and a desire to teach through that, and I ended up turning it into this book. You know, uh, Graham, I'm thinking of you particularly, but uh, one of the things we try to say in our church regularly is God's ways, God's law is not only right, it's good. Mm. It's mm-hmm. good. And, uh, you know, Graham, you've emphasized the beauty of God and God's ways time and again. Mm-hmm. And in, in human sexuality, that gets lost today because immediately when you don't sound the the cultural notes that they're demanding it's there you go you're a troglodyte mm-hmm. you know, or you hate women <laughs> or something yeah it's interesting that um you know i think the evangelical church has done a really good job in emphasizing uh goodness and truth you know right living in submission to god's law uh speaking the truth knowing the truth examining the truth um but we've I think sometimes lost our way when it comes to beauty or the importance mm-hmm. of beauty. And there's nothing more persuasive. Uh, there's nothing that stirs the affections more than beauty. And, and true beauty will always be in line with goodness and, and truth mm-hmm. as well. And so when you can reveal the beauty of the truth and when you can reveal the beauty of goodness and, and the right way to live, well, that's when you become really persuasive to people who aren't convinced otherwise. They may not be convinced by the logical syllogism, you know, that this must be true because of the logic. So I think um, when we can, as you've done, um, and as we try to do in our church, reveal the goodness and the beauty of God's plan in in terms of what men are supposed to be, what women are supposed to be, and how they also complement each other as Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. man and woman, um, then it becomes much more persuasive to Christians who are maybe skeptic or people who are not Christians who are, who are listening in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, though, right? Nope. So, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's in the eye of the one who is beautiful, right? Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a, I mean, I think that's kind of the subsoil mm-hmm. of the mess we're in, is everybody thinks that they can determine what's mm-hmm. right, good, true, mm-hmm. and beautiful. 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're all about saying, you know, there's no such thing as subjective truth, but there's also no such thing as subjective beauty either. <laughs> it is objective. Okay, Graham's email is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Daryl Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and just wanted to let you know that the second in our trilogy of books with Founders Press is fast approaching being available to you. It's called Just Thinking About Ethnicity. Just Thinking About Ethnicities. Pre-orders are available right now at press.founders.org. That's press.founders.org. You can go there right now and pre-order Just Thinking About Ethnicity. The book will ship in January 2024. Just Thinking About Ethnicity. Go to press.founders.org to pre-order today. One of the things, Michael, that I appreciate so much about this book is you say uh, hard things, things in the Bible that are hard, hard for us to hear. And that's been true from the beginning of the Bible. Peter said that about some of the things Paul wrote, hard to understand. (laughs) But you say those hard things, you don't compromise, you don't round off the sharp edges, but you speak uh, from a perspective of an insider who, who knows the need of God's grace who's mm-hmm. not pontificating from some place of uh, excellence and having figured it all out. And, you know, you mentioned more than one time, you know, about your your process and trying to, to recognize we all need the Savior. We all need what God's done for us in Jesus. And on that basis, standing in grace, let's look at what God says. And what God says, it is really good. This mm-hmm. is good mm-hmm. for us. So in your context, in your urban context, uh, does is that? Uh, I mean, I, as I was reading, I'm thinking, this is not only great truth. This is an apologetic method that is very effective. Mm. Uh, so, is that something that you've cultivated uh, through planting the church there and and trying to to minister in that university environment? Yeah, I, I, it, it's interesting you say that. I I don't know that I've thought of it as apologetics, but I I think that's accurate because um, I apologetics is it's a giving a defense i want to defend something and what i want to defend is the goodness and the beauty of something Mm -hmm. Uh, and so even in the texts that are more controversial take um, the headship of the husband or the submission of the wife that's always going to activate tension anxiety in people and but uh, the thing i want to illustrate for folks. And I've, I've done this in my church. I've done this in my, in premarital counseling. I've done this in so many times and people face to face and can read their body language and how they respond to it. Uh, a lot of times for the women, there's something that sort of rises up in them that, Oh boy, here's, he, he, he went there. And this mm-hmm. is the, this is the uncomfortable mm-hmm. thing that I don't like. I don't like it's in the Bible. I don't like that. Uh, I'm going to have to deal with this in my marriage. And I want to convince them, like this, God made the world one way, and the way that he made the world has a design. And whenever we deviate from that design, not only is it sin and disobedience to God's law, but also it is harmful to us. Um, And so for a wife to submit to her husband, that's not only a command that she should obey, but that is also a a, a thing that God has made that is good for women and it is good for men uh, to not 
have these power struggles all the time, but to have a man that knows you are responsible for your household, you will answer to God for your household, and the way that you lead your household is something that uh, you you have to take very seriously. And that that is it is good for a man to think that way, to lead his home that way, to think the way my children behave, the way my household runs, the way we all think, our habits, how we go to church, how we uh, how we understand scripture. I am responsible for leading this household, and whenever my wife can trust that her husband takes that with the utmost seriousness, then that frees her to focus on all the beautiful things that God has uniquely gifted her to do when she's not competing for his role and not, and there, there's not a, there's not this power struggle and a good husband is going to listen to uh, his wife. They're going, they're going to, they're going to be able to have good arrive at wisdom together. Uh, it is not as though he disregards her, but ultimately he's the one that is responsible and to be able to paint a picture for people that like you will learn how to, how to thrive when you're both consciously walking out what God has, the way God has created you. He, and this is a, this is a design thing. Um, it's like a car runs on gasoline. Um, and you, this is how you put fuel in your tank is by operating according to the way God has designed you. And as you do this over time, you'll, you'll learn how to trust God more, how to trust each other more if, if you're submitting to it. Um, so I try to, I try to paint it as a, as a beautiful thing. And that's, that's why I always start I mean, the whole concept of the book is let's not let's not focus on here's all the things that are wrong. I mean, you have to correct things, but the focus of the book is what did God, how did God make the world? Why did God make the world this way? And to show like this is all rooted in the way uh, God has ordered the universe. And this is even the character of God himself as a father. These things matter. And that's the good thing. So whenever we go against it, we're not, it's not merely a sin in this instance. We are going against the grain of our design. And now we see this happen. I mean, the way it's playing out and, you know, things like transgenderism and so on. It's like, we see like reality itself is being rebelled against mm -hmm. and we're seeing kind of what, what else is downstream from these, uh, from going against God's design, you know, more upstream of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is a, it is a desire to highlight beauty and goodness um hope, hopefully it hopefully it comes through um, in a way that is it is persuasive mm. i found it very persuasive and it's a book that i'm going to be giving out um i do think we're at a cultural moment where even those that don't give much thought to god and certainly are not christians they look around <clears throat> they just see we've lost our minds i mean the uh -huh. lgbtqia plus mm -hmm. who knows what the next letter will be tomorrow folks look at that and they just know i mean the the fact they're made in god's image the conscience that they have enlightened by natural law it just mm. tells them this is wrong and yeah. i think what you've done is you take people like that by the hand you say yeah we're looking uh here at what's going on in the river we see all these people that are just dying and they're drowning let's let's go back to the source let's keep going back and back and back and it comes back to what we've been saying for years here. It's Genesis 1-1. Mm -hmm. This is God's world. God yeah. created this world, and he did it with a specific design for a specific purpose. 
And if you don't see that, you're just not going to live well in God's world the way that he designed you to live. And yep. you again, you do this so gently that it's a wonderful, uh, uh, it, it's good information, it's wonderful truth, well taught, but it's done well. And I think it's a model. It's a it's a wonderful encouragement to me as I was reading it, just to think, okay, these these are good arguments to make on this subject. Yeah, and I think that this is the time to be making this argument because we're in a period in our history where people are really questioning sexuality. I was listening uh, a couple weeks ago an interview with Barry Weiss, who is a lesbian uh, feminist, and she's having conversations with all her friends about all the ways in which the sexual revolution has failed. <laughs> I mean, when you get a person like that in yeah. that crowd having that conversation, they're looking for answers. They're realizing that <laughs> the bedrock for their understanding of sexuality is not as sure as they once thought it was. And mm. they're not familiar with what you know historic Christian teaching offers them. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to make these arguments, to be able to present these frameworks and this picture of what it could be, I think people are hungry for that and they're looking for that right now. Yeah, you make the case, use the illustration in your book about the uh, desert spider that uh, the children eat the mother, you know, about feminism, and Mm. Barry Weiss would be a case in point Mm -hmm. on that. Have you seen that there have been a number of instances over the last year or two where somebody is doing what you're talking about, they're thinking about the sexual revolution, ways that it's failed, and they're frustrated because you have uh, people that are abandoning relationships and so forth, and um, I've, I've seen, I've seen this a couple of times where somebody would put a tweet out and they'll say, uh, they're like, all right, we need to, we need to pass some law that will force a man to stay with the woman that he had a child with. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever I see that, I'm like, you just created marriage, yeah. which is the thing that you've been arguing against the whole sexual revolution. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen people make memes of it where you have this guy's like, your terms are acceptable. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Boy, it is a revolution. We have revolved all the way back around the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And the people who are making the argument are folks that are just way out there, you know, so yeah. it's, it is interesting. And it's, it's like nature always finds a way. You, know? uh-huh. you, yeah. you can't ultimately <laughs> escape it. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Allie Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. One of the things in the book, Michael, that I found particularly uh, well done was how you treat singleness. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I've heard multiple times, um, the the argument made or the case made, the assertion made for those who are single that want to be married, Christians who want to be married. And there's a, it's a whole couple of generations of them now because marriage has been just thrown on the rocks in so many ways. And to that uh, demographic, Christians, single adults that want to be married, 
very often what's been said to them is, well, marriage or, or singleness is a gift just like marriage. Singleness is just as good as marriage. And so you should embrace your singleness and your gift and just go with it. And what, mm-hmm. what you said is no, for the, the single Christian that wants to be married, singleness is a trial. It's mm-hmm. a trial. And the way you expressed that and, and wrote about it was not in any condescending way, like, oh, you're a second-class Christian because you're not married, but not compromising on God's good design for marriage mm-hmm. as well. So elaborate on that. I, I think that, <clears throat> I mean, the, the whole book's really good, but that's worth the price of the book, just the the gentleness mm-hmm. and uh, insights that you put down on that. Yeah, this is something that is novel, I think, in the in the birth control era mm. where the possibility of sex without babies is more the norm than the exception. Um, and so that has created an environment where you can have a lot of promiscuity and the incentives t- toward marriage uh, are, are minimized. Um, and you see in the reformers and some of the catechisms, uh, I don't remember which question it was, but I believe it's in Westminster uh, catechism about uh, unnecessarily delaying marriage mm. as, as as a problem that goes against the uh, commandment about adultery. Um, so it's, it's something that is a novel thing. Historically, it has always been understood that the normative vocation for every man and woman is marriage unless God explicitly calls you to a life of celibacy uh, for the purpose of unusual service in the kingdom of God, eunuchs for the kingdom of God, as Jesus called them. So if that being the case, then why would the church go out of its way so much to celebrate singleness as a normative lifestyle, as though this is a good thing, when clearly the people that are in this lifestyle, they, they that's, I mean, some of them might say, yeah, I want to be single, but the majority of people I know, they don't like being single. They would, they would like to be married, and they're getting mixed messages from you know, the Christian world, the Christian subculture mm. about singleness. On the one hand, like they might hear, well, marriage is an idol. Um, and on the other hand, they might hear, well, singleness is a good, it's good. It's a gift. You should embrace it. And they're like, if this is, if this is such a good gift, uh, you know, why do I, why do I feel so miserable? And the thing pastorally that has worried me is that we'll, we'll take the short term benefit of helping a single person feel better. We're telling them, hey, it's a gift. Hey, this is a, you know, just receive it as a gift and rejoice in it or whatever. And and kind of downplaying the value of marriage uh, for the sake of that person feeling better, but mm-hmm. not really thinking long term about what, how does this play out over 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And I think of how many people right now that are thinking it's great being single, but whenever they get you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, they're still single. And that's a season of life when you're, you're thinking of, you're thinking of your mortality. You're aware of, do I, am I leaving a legacy and having children, grandchildren, having Christmas morning with kids around, you know, around the tree, the little things like this, that just sweeten life so much. I mean, these folks won't, they won't have those blessings. And that's beauty. I mean, that's that's a that's a beautiful thing that God has given us. That when we live according to His design, we do have these moments that are filled with joy and meaning because we're going with the grain of how God's made the world. And when you promote singleness as a good in itself, 
you are undercutting joy long term and happiness long term that God would would give as a blessing to people. Uh, so I, th- I think it's terrible messaging pastorally. It is I think it is very unwise to to speak this way. You, but if you acknowledge it, hey, this is a trial, this is a difficulty, then you can take them to scripture and show them here's how the scripture tells us to deal with trials. Mm-hmm. You can count it all joy, but you count it all joy as a trial. But you don't say that the trial is good. You don't mm-hmm. say, well, the, the the thing that is afflicting me right now. It's like I can. You don't. We're we're not we're not required in Scripture to deny our own experience of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that want to be married. It's it's sad for them, and it's, and I think it's 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 we're on the front end of this because I think over the trending the trend lines are towards less marriage and later marriage. Um, and then demographics, you have Gen Z men are trending hard conservative and Gen Z women are trending hard liberal. Mm-hmm. So even compatibility, um, just finding people that are like-minded is going to be more difficult. So I think it's it's a pretty important issue for churches to prioritize in their discipleship and their teaching because they're making an investment not in the, the short-term discomfort will be outweighed by the long-term happiness that you're investing in for people that they may not realize for 20 or 30 years. Mm. Uh, but it, I, I do think it is, it is that significant to do it. Yeah. I think part of it is a result of the <laughs> radical egalitarianism and the way it kind of seeps into the church. You know, we, um, I think we're so reluctant to talk about any sort of deficiency that a person might have or a group of people might have. Um, And we need to not be afraid to talk about that and to talk in those terms. It's not the end of the world. It's not like um, not all deficiencies are due to more, you know, poor morals or anything like that. But if we don't recognize it for what it is and we call deficiencies good, I mean, the blind person. Um, if you don't recognize their deficiency and you just talk about their blindness as a gift, yeah, yes, yeah, certainly there can <laughs> there can be silver linings mm-hmm. to being blind, and, and you should recognize those things. But you don't just go around acting as if like being blind yeah. is a good gift. It mm-hmm. is. It is suffering. It is a struggle for anyone who is blind, and so also I think it is for those who are are single as well. It, it is a deficiency, and we all have deficiencies, and we all have struggles and trials in various ways. Um, but we need to call them, like you said, we can't live in denial. We need to call them for what they are and live in the light of God's grace. Um, when we go through trials like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fine line because you can communicate, um, singleness to those who want to be married in terms that sound like you are less than. Mm-hmm. And yes, so sure. that's not true. It's mm-hmm. not true. But when you look at how the scripture talks about marriage, uh, to see, Someone who wants to be married, living a single life, yeah, it's it's trial. Mm-hmm. It, I mm-hmm. think framing it as a trial helps uh, thoughtful single Christians who want to be married to know how to navigate it better. It's yeah. not like oh, I've got this gift. I I don't like being single, but it's a gift. So I've got you. Know, what am I saying to God whenever I say I don't want to be single? I want to be married. Should I pray to be married if this is a gift? I mean, all mm-hmm. of that just results in, in, in all kinds mm. of spiritual confusion. So I thought yeah. that was a really helpful insight. Yeah. I, I've, I've experienced this in, in my church where there are uh, particular women that are uh, in their late thirties or forties or something, and they desire marriage. 
And anytime you talk about marriage as a good thing, you celebrate it, you talk about babies and children, or you mm-hmm. talk about singleness as a, as a trial or something like this, they, it, it does highlight the thing that is painful for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what pastors and church members are, are go-to impulse and we're conditioned this way as Christians to minimize the pain. Let's take mm-hmm. away, let's remove the thing that's causing pain so that we can comfort the individual. Um, and the sad reality is, is that when you do that, you you deprive yourself of discipleship opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've just found like we, when people pressured me to not talk about marriage, say, well, why do we talk about marriage so much? And I'm like, <laughs> like, do you not see what's happening in the world where marriage is like under, under constant attack? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to, we have to talk and disciple people about this, even though doing so will be uncomfortable at times, depending on your context, it may be very controversial to promote biblical marriage very much at all. But I, I think it is an urgent necessity because there's a marriage is being weakened as we speak. And even in the Christian world, I I get really, it's frustrating when I hear people in the church or in the Christian world parroting talking points from uh, from secular sources. Yeah. Like we have to have a unique prophetic voice to uphold what God has created and to say this is good. And even if it's difficult or even if it hurts to talk about it, we can't avoid the subject. So, yeah, you know, I think in, in my mind uh, when pastoring a congregation, when you when you elevate the um, deficiencies or the trial or the struggle and the goodness of the struggle and the goodness of the deficiency in the perception of the congregation or the perception of the people, what you do is you lower the goodness of that, which is normative for the congregation. Yeah. So they're both good. You know, they're both mm-hmm. equally good in, in, yeah. in different ways. And what you're doing is you're denying the goodness of, in this case, marriage, which God has said is a good and which is normative for all people. And so not only do you, like you said, you rob opportunities for discipleship, but then also you rob from what God has has given to us and what he has communicated to us is what is normative in, in, in marriage. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I, you, you make this point in the book as well that, man, the, the world has discipled us so successfully. Mm-hmm. on this or, mm-hmm. or catechize this, I think is how you put it. And we get it through the uh, entertainment. We get it through all of the sources of information that blast us daily. And our, our people are uh, predisposed to think that way because of the messaging that's been received. And if we are not being clear in saying that th- this is what God says about design, about mm-hmm. men and women and about the world mm-hmm. we live in and about marriage, then uh, we're just going to, subtly say amen to all that Mm. wrong way of thinking and i mean i hear it i see it and it's a it's a battle it's an ongoing responsibility that pastors have to think clearly to speak plainly but to do so as you do in your book with with grace and with Mm -hmm. hope Mm -hmm. yeah tom it's interesting you bring that up because there was a, a a video clip that made the rounds of the internet a couple months ago of the actress who is portraying the new Snow White live action uh, movie. Mm. And she is, she is speaking very condescendingly towards the original. She said, you know, this isn't, you know, the 1920s where, you know, she falls in love and uh, you know, he rescues her um, as though these are, these are bad things, even though those are stereotypically, they, they touch on, 
natural male and female instincts. The man, the man's instinct is to protect and to rescue, and the woman's instinct is to love and to to build a relationship. Um, and she was like denigrating those. And what Hollywood is so good at doing is they don't make propositional arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, they they catechize us through beauty, and they'll take something that is fundamentally ugly which is the feminist uh, teaching of the world, but they can present it in such a way that it's fiction. So they can take something that does not in itself produce good things, but tell a story as though it does Mm -hmm. and do it with the soundtrack that is very moving and Mm -hmm. with cinematography that is gripping. And it can convince you uh, over time because there's so many of these stories you end up believing something that really is unrealistic it's mm-hmm. it's not natural at all but we end up thinking well this must be because i've seen it so many times in film and then churches think well a, a 40 minute sermon on sunday can counteract that mm-hmm. and the 40 minute sermon is usually aimed at proposition right point one god created you point two uh god intends good for you point three but a lot, a lot of times we don't feel that we don't we don't feel the beauty of it where we 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 can think propositionally that a lot of the way people live their lives is based on their instinct and what they feel is good they're inclined to the good i mean jonathan edwards made the argument they we move towards what inclines our affections um and so i think like the the idea of speaking of beauty and, and i think i to, to really can be convincing and persuasive it's there has to be stories there it has to be seen to be beautiful and i think the way that christians live now that could be going forward one of the more powerful apologetics that we have is that who are the normal people who are the people that seem to really love one another who are the people that are uh that you enjoy being around who are the people that seem like they care for you they have children they seem happy um the Christians will be some of the some of the last ones remaining that mm. can embody beauty in the world, and hopefully a way that will that will demonstrate the goodness of God's design, uh, even though pe- to to people that have conditioned themselves to believe the opposite. Hopefully, God will use that going forward to counteract the messaging of like the Hollywood and um, all the all the media type of stories that we hear. Mm. Amen. Well, <clears throat> Michael, thank you for being on the show with us today, and thank you for this book. And I just want to say to those listening in, that um, be aware that you and your children, your grandchildren, your nephews, your nieces have been discipled by Disney princesses, and they need to be discipled by the Word of God. And if you need help to get started on that, I can't recommend anything more highly than Michael's book, God's Good Design, a Biblical, Theological, and Practical Guide to human sexuality. We'll link to this in the notes. And before we go, Michael, just tell folks if they want to follow you, they want to learn more about you, uh, where can they go to do that? Um, the I'm active on Twitter, X uh, now as they're calling it. Um, my handle is D Michael Clary. Um, and I also have a personal website, uh, the same thing, dmichaelclary.com. And all my information is there. Be happy to connect with anybody that would like to. Good. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Sword and Trial today. And if we can do anything for you at Founders, please don't hesitate to reach out. As always, we want to thank our Founders Alliance members for their prayerful support and their financial support that enables us to do what we do. Why are we here? 
What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.